0: God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That's a biblically wise statement. Living for His glory flows out of His work in us, creating satisfaction in Him. Here's another one. You know, that was John Piper, by the way, if you didn't know that. Another one. What is the chief end of man? Summarizing what Scripture teaches in the Shorter Catechism, question one. What is the chief end? What is the chief purpose of mankind? To glorify God and to be bored forever. I don't know. Hearts that are satisfied in God are are joyful because of who He is and who He is for them and His grace toward them and that fuels a life lived for Him. So our chief end is what God calls us to and what He accomplishes growingly in us that we might glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Joy in God is what we are designed for and it comes through glorifying His name. We've just been singing, God, you're number one. Do whatever you want to with me. You're my treasure. Carry your own load of conviction. We're not glorified yet, but we should be aiming at that every day. And Scripture teaches us. This book we're going to study teaches us what is the chief end? What is my purpose? What was I designed for? It's to live for God's glory and to enjoy Him forever. So what is our problem? Well, our problem is we look everywhere else for joy and satisfaction. We look everywhere else. We think that stuff around here can satisfy us. And we look for it. If we don't believe God, we are... Looking in the wrong place. There is no satisfaction that will last to be found here on this earth in the things that our senses experience. You can search. It's like chasing happiness. Just chasing happiness. No, you you pursue God and He blesses you for pursuing Him but we look in the wrong places for satisfaction, and that's why we can't find it. That's why it never lasts. I mean, the Rolling Stones even figured this out. I can't get no. Don't worry, I'm not going to Mick Jagger dance up here. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get me no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no. I'll stop there. The only think about this, the only things in this passing world that will satisfy us are the things we don't have yet. Right? If I just had mm, I would be happy. When I get mm, I will be happy. Single people, boy, when I find me a wife or a husband, I'm gonna be happy. No, they're gonna make you miserable, but it's <laughs> at times, see I'm getting in trouble. No, don't make marriage an idol. See it as a, as a blessing, but as a sanctification tool. If you, look for the, if you expect that person to carry the weight of your satisfaction, then you've taken them from a spouse to an idol. And they cannot do it. Don't put that on your spouse. Sinners saying, I do, is what happens when we get married. And you'll soon find out when the puppy love goes away, that there's work involved in having a marriage that glorifies God because that person doesn't squeeze the toothpaste where you do or And there's no right way to do it. <laughs> don't elevate your preferences. But I mean the things, the only things that satisfy are the things we don't have yet. We give them power, right? And then we get them and we go. Uh. I mean, think about this. You've heard this quote before. John D. Rockefeller. Who was that? Ages gone by. But in this man, when this man said this, he owned 90% of the oil and gas in the country. When he said this, he made Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like paupers. And he was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much does it take to satisfy a man? You know what he said? Yes. Just a little more. Because he was singing with the Rolling Stones. They didn't even exist yet. I can't get no, because I'm looking in the wrong place. So if we really want to be satisfied, we need to seek a lasting satisfaction outside of this world. Believe it or not, it's in God. And it is the fruit of a growing relationship with Him. He is the only one who can sustain. And because you were designed that way. You're designed for Him. To love and trust and live for Him. And that's your blessing and your joy. If you want to be satisfied and remain satisfied, look to something eternal that doesn't change. Not much of that around here. God. God. Lasting satisfaction. Is found in a gracious relationship with our God, the only true and living God. Not in any other way, not in any other religion, but in God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, by the power of His Holy Spirit. Do you believe that God wants you to be joyful? See, we have this weird understanding of God that anything's fun, He's going to squash it. He's out to ruin our fun. He's out to make us miserable. That's an idolatrous view of God. Did you know, over and over and over again, He says things like, Oh, if my people would trust me. Oh, if they would listen to me. They would ride on the heights. They would be filled with joy. They would be supplied. In fact, God commands us to be joyful. Can you command joy? Yeah. He does it. And it's for our good. See, the other thing God says over and over and over is that His commandments, yes, they're for His glory, but they're for our good. Think about it. He created us. He designed us. He knows how we are to live and where true joy is found. It's found in Him. If He would point us to any other place, He'd be pointing us to an idol. But Philippians 4.4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord when things go well. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know what always means? Always. Be joyful in God always. You know why? And you know how? He never changes. So, if you truly know who He is and you're truly rested in His grace, if you truly understand the cross, you have all of the fuel you need for a continual joy, even through tears, in the hardest of circumstances in this world. See, this is, not, this is a present, active command. And He repeats it in one verse and, and over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. When God repeats things, it's for emphasis. Continually rejoice in the Lord because of His grace. I mean, if it wasn't for grace. God wants you to be joyful. God commands you to be joyful. And He loves you enough to point you in the right direction, which is joy in Him. You know, you might say, you know... This life is miserable. Does God just want us to be miserable? Yes, you will be miserable if you are focused in the wrong place. If you are looking for satisfaction here, you're going to be a rolling stone. I try, I mean, and the things satisfy temporarily. You ever had that, this thing you really wanted, and you get it, and it's like, woo, and then it's just like, huh? It just becomes your car, or your house, or your spouse, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or you name it. Because it's not meant to satisfy you forever. Jesus said this. I have come. See, we so misinterpret verses like this. Health, wealth, and prosperity heretics have polluted theology. Especially in this country. So that when we think abundant life, we think having a bunch of stuff. Anyway, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. Or another translation puts it this way, a rich and satisfying life. Be careful how you interpret that word rich. Rich in God. Having Him, I have everything. Everything. Walking by faith and not by sight, trusting God through good times and bad, walking and living for His glory is the rich, abundant life and where our joy is to be found. So see, today we start a new book. We start a new study in Ecclesiastes. And this is a really misunderstood book with some really bad translations out there. But the the summary, uh, just one summary, Solomon points us to true joy. He shows us the meaning and the purpose of life and shows us where satisfaction and joy and enduring enjoyment is to be found. And it's in God. Kids, you might say, well, he just didn't know my circumstances. He didn't know my situation. I'm unique. Nobody's ever been here like me. No, I'm sorry. He was, one, he was the wisest person under Christ who ever lived. So, 1 Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. And sure, he strayed from God for a while and tried to find his joy here. I'm trusting he came back and repented. I'm trusting this was written near the end of his life and he shows us a better way. But he learned a lot of lessons from it. But the wisest person, human being, who ever lived is telling us, don't root yourself here. Root yourself there in God. This was written probably near the end of his life uh, (laughs) A.D. 940 to 930 B.C., before Christ. What kind of book is it? The genre, if you know the word. It's wisdom literature. It's wisdom literature. What does that mean? It helps us come to a deeper understanding of what it means to live life wisely, to live life well in God's world. That's why it was written. You want to be wise? You want to live life well in God's world? This is going to help you do that. Ecclesiastes will help us find our joy and satisfaction in God and in living for Him. It is a book about joy. Rightly understood in its entirety. So if you invest in this study, here are a few things I'm going to promise you. Remember I said if you invest in it. You will come out of this study with more satisfaction in God and less satisfaction in this world. You will come out of this study living more for the glory of God and less for self and worldly pursuits. Bottom line, you will come out of this study with more joy in God in the midst of a fallen world. If you invest in this study, if you own what this book teaches, we'll see it in light of the rest of Scripture, we'll bring that in as we study. But you'll have more satisfaction, more faithful life, more joy, even in trouble, if you invest, if you believe, if you draw in. That's a little longer introduction than I usually do. We're just going to focus small and get started this morning. But we're going to look at one verse mainly, which is verse 2 of chapter 1. And then we're going to bring in at the end in a shorter way the very last two verses of the book, 12, verse, chapter 12, 13, and 14. And listen, these are bookends that show us what the book is about. When you look at a conclusion of, the, of an argument, you see where the author has been driving to take you. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to see how it starts. We're going to look at the conclusion and hopefully that will whet our appetites for the study. Really, this book, one of its main things that it does for us, and this I titled the sermon this, it helps us avoid the empty life. World-centered, self-centered life is the empty life. But the main point is avoid the empty life by finding your satisfaction in God and joyfully living for His glory. And that's not only the main point of this Sermon, it's overarching across the book. Avoid the empty life by finding your satisfaction in God. You don't want to be the person who thinks all I need to be satisfied is a little bit more. Because right now, I don't care who you are. You're trusting in Jesus this morning. You have everything you need right now to live joyfully in Christ the rest of the days of your life. So it's time to focus and work on our lives being for God's glory. First point, avoid the empty life by seeing this world as passing away. Look, I'll go quickly through verse 1 and then into verse 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Uh, Written in a particular way, I'm not going to go much into this because you have books (laughs) and Dr. Shaw will help you see that I said that. I looked over and I said, you have books and they're all gone. We'll order some more. But there's, there's more into Solomon as the author and why that is true and how some people in church history have doubted that, and, but that's an error due to latest scholarship and all of that. But the way even the son of David is put together, it's, it's, it shows us it was Solomon. The words of the preacher, Kohelet in uh, Hebrew, the king in Jerusalem. The wisest person who ever lived. So the preacher, the son, the king is Solomon and this sets the stage for him kicking off the book. Sets the stage for the rest of the book. But look at this in verse 2. This is where some of, a good deal of, of, of missing the point <laughs> gets started. Right here. Now in the ESV, I think carrying over from the King James and just bringing that over, um, says this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. No, they're not talking about a piece of furniture in your house or a prideful attitude. We'll talk a little bit more about what, just exactly what are they trying to say with that word vanity. And, And we don't use that word a lot in this way. Um, but some other translations, here, here are a few more translations that uh, I think, <laughs> and pulling from Dr. Shaw, I think get this wrong. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says absolute futility. Absolute futility. The Net Bible said absolutely futile. The NIV says utterly meaningless. The New Living Translation says completely meaningless. Meaningless. So life is just futile and meaningless. He's a nihilist. It's just There's no meaning. There's no nothing. There's nothing to pour into. It's all worthless. See, I, th- I think what the modern translations must be trying to do, and again, Dr. Shaw brings this out, is, is they're trying to interpret vanity instead of interpreting the Hebrew word behind vanity. So they get it wrong. That's not what Solomon was saying, that everything is utterly meaningless. Of course he's going to conclude not saying that. I think I have a slide for a Hebrew word. Did I send that to you guys? Yeah. Hebel. In Hebrew, you start on the right and read towards the left. So... It's really, and originally it would have been what we would understand as H-B-L, and then later the vowel points were put in. But I tell you a funny story about that. If you're looking at that, it looks like nothing you've ever seen unless you've looked at Hebrew or some other foreign language, right? In my first Hebrew class in seminary, we had to print Genesis 11 on, on the copier. That's how low-tech we were. We had to go and take our, our Hebrew sheets that he gave us and copy. Everybody had to have a copy. And so I went and made my copy in Hebrew class, and I was two-thirds of the way through the class before I knew I had it upside down. And the only way I knew I had it upside down is I finally saw Genesis 11 on the bottom upside down and backwards. That's not to discourage you from studying Hebrew. I found Greek to be more compatible to myself, but other people... In Hebrew, but that, that is the word, Hebel. So, what does Hebel mean? I, I wasn't coughing. That's what Hebel means a puff of breath, a puff of wind, or a vapor. That, that word literally, behind vanity, the, the Hebrew word literally means puff of breath. Uh, You can't do it now unless you see flames come out when you breathe. But in the wintertime when you you breathe, you can see. You can actually see your breath, right? But it's just a puff. And when you puff in the wintertime, what do you see? A a mist, right? A, A little vapor that just goes to nothing. What characterizes a puff of breath? It's quickly gone. It's short. It doesn't last. You always need more. Try living on one puff of breath. Can't like make it very long. But that's what the word means, literally. Now it's being used figuratively, but that's what it means literally. It's being used fig- figuratively as the opposite of that which is firm and lasting. So figuratively, it's the opposite of what is firm and lasting. It's what is temporal, temporary, not lasting, ephemeral, whatever word you want to use for it. Vanity of vanities. But when you see that word vanity, empty, all of that stuff, when you see it here and when you see it in our study you're going to see other phrases as we go through like he'll say all like in verse 14 all is vanity and striving after wind. Chasing the wind. Can you catch the wind? It's futile right? It's, it won't, you, won't you, you can't do it. Even that puff of breath. Try to catch it and hold on to it. You, you can't do it. But when everything anything is repeated it's emphasis. So, so uh, temporary, temporary, not lasting, not lasting. Vapor goes away quickly. Everything here is passing, temporary. It's a vapor. James said this in James four fourteen. What is your life? For you are a mist. that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Everything here is a puff of breath. Eternity awaits. Life is short. Even if life is 70 or 80 years, some of y'all still think that's a long time. You just wait. (laughs) It happens fast, doesn't it? I'm still 30 in my heart, but... My last birthday proved different. I'm doubled that. Think about, think about, uh, think about these distant shots from Voyager and things that we get of the planet Earth from seven million miles away. That you just see a barely a faint dot, and then it keeps moving until Earth disappears. That's what this life is going to look like as eternity marches on. Eventually, in comparison, it'll just disappear. It's not worth placing all our eggs in this basket. Seventy to eighty years will go by quickly. And if you don't listen to God, you'll be chasing satisfaction and joy in things here. And you'll find some temporary joy here and there, but it won't last and it won't sustain you. Solomon points us to a greater source of joy. Wisdom comes to us as we realize that everything here is It won't sustain our happiness and satisfaction and joy. We need to look beyond it and above it to its creator. What is his purpose for us? Wisdom comes to us by realizing who we are, where we live, and our own temporary nature. We are quickly here and gone. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Now watch this. You see how other, I think we're on the right track. Other scriptures seem to agree. But 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. As, now watch where the focus is. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. You know what transient means, right? Temporary. They don't last. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So treasure in heaven, God on His throne, all of these things we take by faith and not by sight because of the resurrection and Christ has come to save us. We get wisdom by flipping the weight of importance to see the unseen as what is important. It's what is eternal. It's what lasts. And everything here is just a puff of breath. There's joy in that puff if it's lived rightly. There's satisfaction in that puff if it's lived rightly. There's purpose in all of this, but it's found in your Creator and in a relationship with Him. Wisdom is... Teaches us to number our days. Wisdom teaches us to think about death. Wisdom teaches us to live in light of eternity. That's what Ecclesiastes will do for us. So, uh, look at Psalm 90, verses 10, and then I'll skip to verse 12. But look, watch this. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone. See, Solomon didn't write that. And we fly away. Look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we might be miserable. No. So that we can get a heart of wisdom and live in light of eternity and rest our hope and focus on God and live here for His glory and find true life and true joy. Be delivered from the fear of death. All of the benefits that come with trusting in Christ. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. That's what Ecclesiastes is going to help us do. Number our days. See that this is not our home. Look to the Lord and to His promises, knowing there's a new heavens and a new earth coming, and all of the struggles and and things that we have now will be done away with, and it'll be pure joy and satisfaction with Christ forever, which is what we were created for. But there's joy and satisfaction here and now if we will trust God and look to Him and not be constantly carving our own idols. Those things that you hope to have someday that you think will make you happy are the thing you wish you could get out of your life so you could be happy. It'll just be a new thing when that one goes away. Because you're focused in the wrong place. This world is hollow and fading and it can't sustain your satisfaction. Only God can do that. This fallen world is mostly... Hear me, and you know this, especially those, those of you who've lived for a while, this fallen world is mostly frustrating and disappointing. Unless we're just not paying attention and too easily pleased. See, that's what Solomon's going to share with us. He's not going to teach us that it doesn't matter what we do here. He's going to teach us that it very well matters what we do here. But what matters most and what will provide the most joy and satisfaction is trusting and living for our God. Solomon is going to point us to that. Only God can sustain us. Solomon's going to share with us. Listen, he's going to be honest. He tried it all and he had the means to try it all. He tried everything under the sun, had all of the means to pursue it and ended up saying, it's not satisfying. It's like chasing the wind if you're just looking to those things to make you happy. Wisdom, pleasure, work, power, wealth, stuff is a... What the things we hope in? Cars and houses and jewelry and a new spouse or, or, or first spouse or friends or experiences. This younger generation thinks life's all about having new and fun experiences. It is not. Praise God when we have them. But we don't aim everything at that. We should be focused on God. The earth-centered life. The self-centered life is the empty life and it will never satisfy. It is vanity and striving after the wind, Solomon will teach us. God will teach us. Jesus will teach us. Pointing us to him for our joy and satisfaction so that we can live a true godly and growing life here. And find joy and satisfaction here, knowing that it will be perfect there. And stop hoping and looking for things around us here to satisfy us. We'll glorify Him here and enjoy Him here, knowing that will continue forever. So where is is Solomon pointing us as we study the book? Secondly, avoid the empty life by finding your satisfaction in God. We're going to come back to these verses when we get there. This is at the very end of the book, but just look at them right quick. Solomon says this, this is the end of the matter. This is the conclusion. This is what I've been driving at this whole book. He said, this is the end of a matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret secret thing whether good or evil. The end, that's the conclusion. That's what he's warning us to get, that life here is about fearing God and living in accordance with his commands, knowing that the judgment is coming. In other words, living in light of eternity. See, when it says fear God, and we'll do more of this when we get there, but when it says fear God, don't just think of knees knocking afraid. I mean, there is some trembling in God's presence, and God says He respects those who tremble at His word. But fear as a concept in the Bible is more than that. It's A fear of God is loving Him above all. It's being in awe of Him. It's treating Him with reverence according to His word. It's delighting in him and finding your purpose and your joy and your satisfaction in him. All that and more is wrapped up in what we call the fear of the Lord. And you can simply by doing a concordance search, you can see a lot of that as you see how that that is used and how it's defined. It's it's such a well-rounded topic. In fact, I've compared the fear of the Lord to a diamond. When you see a diamond and all the beautiful facets that what make it sparkle and shine, the fear of the Lord is like that. It's many-faceted encapsulation of what our lives should look like when they are focused on and devoted to God because of His grace to us in Christ Jesus. A heart that fears Him is a heart that believes and growingly lives in line with the fact that He is all. That He is eternal, that He gives us eternal life. He delivers us from the emptiness and vanity, from the of the fallen world. He gives us joy now that lasts and grows, satisfaction now that lasts and grows. You were created for more than a. You are created for eternity with a glorious and beautiful God who loves you and has satisfied, satisfied for your sin by sacrificing His Son. Life here is temporary and full of struggles. Live it with, in, and for Him in what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. I mean, one, just one of the things you can find is in, in Psalm 112.1, it says, the one who fears the Lord delights in keeping His commandments. Live for God because Christ has lived for you. Live for God because Christ has died for you. Live for God because Christ has been raised for you and is reigning for you and is coming again someday. Kids, adults, the gospel is simple. You probably have memorized some of these scriptures, children. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Corinthians 15 says Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty for our rebellion against God. He paid the penalty for our idol-making business, for our seeking our satisfaction here, for our ignoring and turning from Him in His ways. Christ died because sin, debt, is wrath. The soul that sins shall die. It starts in Genesis and flows all through Scripture. And it's spiritual death as well as physical. See, this life is not the only life you'll live. You will exist ...after this life. And it will either be under the wrath of God... ...or in the presence and the glory of God. Christ came to die to pay the penalty for our sins. That's the bad news, that we are sinners... ...that we have all sinned and deserve condemnation from God... ...but He sent His Son at just the right time... ...to live in perfect fulfillment of His law... ...providing a perfect righteousness that would be imputed to us... ...and He died to pay the penalty for our sins... And he said it is finished. He took that blow on the cross and he went through that grave coming out the third day, resurrecting the third day, proving it's all true. So 1 Corinthians 15 says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. That he appeared to his apostles and disciples for 40 days after before he ascended to over 500 at one time. The resurrection is is something you can't disprove. Many have tried and become Christians. Without a double standard, you can't disprove it. But God's spirit works in our hearts to bring his word to life so that we repent and trust Jesus and find life in him. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, you have eternal life. Live like it. If your faith is in Jesus this morning, you're forgiven of all of your sins. You're cleansed from that. Your record before God is one of complete and perfect obedience because Christ's record has been granted to you or imputed to you. You are a child of God who has the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. No fear in death. So if you are a child of God this morning, if He has redeemed you, if He has called you to Himself, be recalibrated to His truth so that your purpose and passion is Him and His glory so that you can find real joy and real satisfaction and real purpose in this life. Trust and rest in Jesus. Ecclesiastes makes a compelling case for living in light of eternity, living for God's glory, living in the fear of the Lord. Just a few hints as we'll go through, but I'll give you a few things before we conclude. But um, how do we live with joy in a fallen world? Here's just a few points. How do I live with joy in a fallen world? First, live with a continual awareness of where you live. A fallen world in rebellion against God that is a, and it will never satisfy you. You have a purpose here, and He's using you here. Just don't root here, and don't root your satisfaction and your joy here. So the first way to live with joy in a fallen world is not think of this as your home. Walk in a continual awareness that this is a fallen world, it is a dark world, you're a child of God walking through it on mission. Live for Him here. Secondly, Live with a continual awareness and a growing awareness of who your God is and who you are in Him. Some people will say things like, theology is not my thing. Well, if that's your attitude, then bad theology is your thing. Idolatrous thoughts about God will be your thing. And misery will follow. Now, I'm not saying you have to be an R.C. Sproul or, you know, some of these you know, people who are gifted and teach us and bless us. But theology is your thing. What is theology? But it's simply a study of God. It's simply getting to know your God. So make, a, make it a passion of yours to get to know your God in His Word. That's one of the ways you're going to live sur- successfully here and have a growing joy in Him. You're going to know where you live, a fallen world. You're going to pursue a knowledge of God, and you're going to grow in boldness as a result. And then last, just live with a continual awareness of how to find joy. That's by being satisfied in God. Living for His glory according to His Word. Resting in the grace that is yours in Jesus. Yes, believe the bad news. Without Christ, sinner condemned, lost forever. But in Christ, cleansed, clothed, redeemed, child of God. Eternal life. You have it now if you're trusting Jesus. Jesus even said, whoever believes my word has eternal life. Not will have it, has it. Death was just a shuttle ride to his presence when we leave here, if we're trusting in Jesus. Have a continual awareness of how to find joy by being satisfied in God and living for his glory. Keep the cross right in front of your face. Figuratively speaking, that Christ died for me. He gave himself for me. Man, if he'll do that for me, what will he withhold? If, I can't, if that's not enough for me to trust him, there will be never be enough. And he sacrificed himself for me. Listen, I tell you all this all the time, but my, not, my job is not to you know, help you have a bunch of stuff. My job is to prepare you to die. If I prepare you to die well, I have done my job. But you know, the truth of the matter is, you're ready to live well when you're ready to die. Crown my head or cut it off to Christ, to live as Christ, to die as game. And we can growingly have that attitude the better we know Him. See, when we get the gospel, we start to get that satisfaction. We start to believe in God's love for us and His grace towards us and His forgiveness. And we start to be in awe of Him and being satisfied in Him. And the outflow of that is then a life growingly lived for His glory. Know Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Live for God's glory. God is truly most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him and least satisfied with this puff of breath, which is this world. Find your satisfaction in Him. The God-centered life is the full life, and Ecclesiastes will help us find it. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that those words won't become so familiar to us because we say them all the time. that They just are that, something we say. But that they will continually challenge us to root our hope, to root our joy, to root our delight, to root our hearts in you, Lord Jesus, and to live, therefore, for you, and to know that you have conquered death. For us. Lord, save those who don't know you, either watching over the live stream or here in these rooms in the building. And grow in grace the rest of us who do. Set us free from all of the idols of our heart that want to root us here and root our hearts in heaven. Root our hearts in you. May you be our treasure, our joy, our satisfaction, our purpose, so that we do everything you've assigned us here well with intention for your glory, knowing that you are using us. Each of us have different gifts. Each of us have different occupations. All of those gifts and all of those occupations can be used for your glory. Help us to do so. Help us to rest. Help us to trust. Help us to treasure. Help us to fear you. Help us to not hope in a puff of breath, but in the eternal everlasting, only true and living God. Through Jesus Christ, His Son, by the power of His Spirit. Work it in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.